Welcome to the Democracy in Color podcast, the voice of the new American majority. I'm your host, Amy Allison, and today I'm in San Francisco. My guests today are the mayor of Stockton, California, Michael Tubbs, and his wife, Anna Intiasari Tubbs. Some say go big or go home, but Michael Mayor Tubbs decided to do both. He and his wife, Anna, are working on piloting big plans for progressive change to the country, starting in their own backyard in Stockton, California. Michael and Anna, welcome to Democracy in Color. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. I was uh, talking to uh, some folks about the opportunity to interview both of you, and I've never had an interview like this. It's kind of kind of awesome. <laughs> so fun. You're both very accomplished, uh, and uh, you're compared to a power couple, kind of a a Michelle Barack type couple, mm. but millennial style. I personally think you can say millennials, and you can include a bunch of people that wear plaid and have a lot of <laughs> facial hair, and not really have the sensitivity of how race impacts. Mm. People who are your age, in particular those who have stepped fully into their leadership, this is a moment for black women. Mm-hmm. This is a moment for black leadership. Mm. There is a difference. I would say there's absolutely a difference. Um, for example, my college years, I was a freshman. President Obama was elected. And that's like, oh, my gosh, opportunity. The glass ceiling has failed. We can be in the highest office in the land. Then Trey Davis, Trayvon Martin, this one after another after another. Right after this, like, Tea Party comes to power. So that was the formative years in college where it was this huge hope and progress, but also these huge reminders that my senior year was spent in Occupy. We did a police brutality protest with Cal students before the big game. It, and, and whether you're at Stanford or whether you're working at SafeMart, if you're a millennial of color, you're, you come with this realization that you still have to fight, you still have to organize, you still have to speak and let folks know that your life matters. So I think that informs a lot of the passion, a lot of the energy around organizing leadership that informs a lot of the millennials of color that were in the streets for the past several years, disrupting brunches and disrupting BART stations, just letting people know that, yes, we see that there's progress, but there's so much more that has to be done and feeling emboldened and empowered to kind of cause major disruptions to business as usual. I really think about the people who have been in, you know, they're cogs in the wheel. They're just like, hey, we're going to stop things uh, as incredibly courageous and, you know, Last time you were here, you had universal basic income. That was a concept. And under your leadership, Stockton's made headlines for testing out a universal basic income program. How's that going? So in Stockton, our guaranteed income demonstration was twofold. Number one, we're in the middle of a fundraise now to raise for more families. But at least 100 families would get $500 a month for at least 18 months. But it also means... As a city, historically, we've been defined as problems. So people generally have looked to Stockton as for what not to do or for what not to be. Like, we don't want to be bankrupt. We don't want to have this. We don't want to have that. We don't want to be Stockton. But now this guaranteed income and some of the other stuff we're doing has people pivoting and looking at Stockton like, well, maybe there's some answers here. Like, what, what are they doing and, and how can we do it? So as someone who born and raised in Stockton, I think that's also something that I hold sacred and very special, the opportunity to kind of pivot the perception in our role as a city is not a city that just has problems, but a city that may have not all the answers, um, but some answers to a lot of the issues that every community is facing. What are you trying to solve? I mean, what do you see mm-hmm. in Stockton that you think, 
you know, this demonstration program, $500 for these 100 families could actually address. I hate poverty. I think Mandela said poverty is not God-made, it's man-made. <laughs> it's going to take acts of man to change it. I, I don't believe anyone should be in poverty. Um, and we just got a report Tuesday that said in Stockton, um, wages have dropped 8% overall last year, but rent has increased 22%. That doesn't even... Yeah. I mean, my mo- look... I'm not a math person, yeah, yeah, same here. but my mind is going a little bit bonkers because if wages are dropping and re- how do you how do you live? Mm-hmm. That's the question. Yeah, and, yeah. and those are the sort of problems we're solving for. And I first approached this strictly as just a policy nerd. I was like, this is an idea that I think is worth exploring. And now I've moved to still wanting to see what the results say, but become much more of an advocate because just the research, like 44 percent of all people who are poor work full time. So this whole lie about laziness yeah, is just a, you know, because there is uh, a criticism, and I will say I heard it firsthand when I was moderating a panel with uh, Bill Crystal, who's on MSNBC, and he's a Republican, so do we care what he says? But <laughs> he has th- tens of thousands of followers, and his <laughs> and I actually brought up the Stockton experiment, Thank and he you. said that it disincentivizes people from working. And I think that's a knee-jerk reaction, but all the research says something different. So, for example, Alaska has their permanent dividend fund. They've had it since 30 years from now. And don't try to take it from them. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's the most popular. That's how Sarah Palin became so popular as governor. She actually increased the disbursement. Hmm. Um, and people haven't stopped working. And even right now, Ontario, Canada is running a pilot of a basic income that doesn't seem to be showing any significant labor market impacts in its iteration. So I think it's just a knee-jerk reaction, and that's why this pilot is so important so we can actually see, despite what I may think, what they might think, in the real world, in this context, this is actually what happened. This is what people did. And can I add also, I think that kind of narrative, that kind of critique, comes from this misunderstanding of history, and we see it with so many different groups of people who have been disadvantaged, who have been marginalized, who deserve some kind of reparation, who deserve some kind of additional support because of how they've been treated historically, are then told, well, you know, actually you're just lazy or you're doing this for extra money. We see that with um, people speaking about black women who are on welfare or saying they just are having kids now to get governmental support. And so, so much of that is a really a lack of understanding of history and our economic history in the U.S. You're listening to Democracy in Color. Before we get back to our interview with Mayor Michael Tubbs and Anna Intirasari Tubbs, let's do a quick check-in. Tim Molina, our political insider, is back in uh, the studio. How you doing, Tim? I'm great. Yeah, that was uh, inspiring, and it was a privilege to listen in on that for myself. <laughs> well, you're you're also in the same generation. Yes, yes. That's why I'm grinning from ear to ear. Yeah. Well, listen. This is like the new leadership, right? It feels like these are the faces of our people, the next generation, the new American majority. I mean, and it's also so inspiring to see what they're tackling on a local level, but how deeply they will impact thousands and thousands of people. Like this Stockton, though, is a smaller city, is still a city in the, you know, big one of the biggest states in the country. But it used to be known as a foreclosure capital. Yes, it did. It was also known as a city that went bankrupt. Yep. That was before uh, Michael Tubbs was mayor there. Yep. One of the it was the the biggest city to go bankrupt in the country at a time, and now it's like the littlest biggest city in the country because they're taking on these massive initiatives and very innovative solutions to problems that we're seeing all over the country, right? Stockton isn't the only city that's facing inequality, facing poverty, violence. 
it's made harder and harder to afford an education and to get and there's just no there's no tracks to get out of that poverty right and these are two young i mean i think 27 leaders. like that young yeah thank you and then being in the studio audience seeing them i mean i'm like hey I want to hang out with you. Yeah. <laughs> you do kind of want to hang uh, hang out with them, but what they're doing is actually very bold. Very bold, right? And this is the kind of bold leadership and courage that we need to address these massive issues that we're facing across the country. What do you think is the solution to advancing progressive issues in California, which is, I know, where you mostly work in California politics, but also nationally in the age of Trump? California, though, people see it as like the blue progressive state we have the highest poverty rate in the country. So this, and again, the biggest city to file bankruptcy in the country, like, and now they're trying a universal income to help it make people to be able to afford higher education, to reduce violence. I mean, and who knows what will happen, but at least they're trying something, right? They're poking. They're poking these issues. And they're not going to sit by and deal with the same, oh, we got to think, look at this. Change takes time. And no, 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 no. They're going at it head on. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Well, thanks for coming by, Tim. Thank you. And we're back. Welcome to Democracy in Color. And you're an academic. Yes. What do you study? I study sociology at the University of Cambridge. So you know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, what do you, you're right, you're, you're, sure. you're, so you're getting a PhD. Yes, I am. In what? It's in sociology and I'm studying the mothers of MLK Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin. I'm telling their mother's life stories as a way to take away from the notion that these men were just these unicorns that popped out of nowhere, the siloed black male figure without acknowledging the communities that they came from and specifically the black women who surrounded them. And what an interesting place from which to do the research and writing as the first lady of Stockton. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's really incredible to kind of watch this moment, especially with as young as Michael and I are. It's such an exciting journey for us to be on. But so often, even now, I get erased from narratives. Uh, his mother gets erased. His family gets erased. And it suddenly just becomes all about Michael. And that's not to say that we're not proud of him and that we're not excited about him. But even when Michael tries to give us credit, people will then still stir, turn the story to something else, which I, just, I think is interesting. Totally. And I want to say on Democracy in Color, you're here. Thank you. You're here. <laughs> I appreciate here. it. It means a lot. I was uh, watching you in this studio here in San Francisco. When you're hearing your husband talk about universal basic income, you're also shaking your head and you have a, you have opinions. Are you actually politicking, responding to criticism, convincing people? Or what's your role in all this? All of my work is on intersectionality, race and gender, specifically black feminism. And so I wanted to make sure to bring some of that to Michael's work. And I think that... As wonderful as he is, there's more that we can do together. And I think that it's really inspiring and exciting when we do work together and bring right. our passions together. Yeah, I, I see that. I, bring, some, uh, bring some of that wisdom from black feminists into yeah. the room. What inspires you um, to alongside with Michael and with the community uh, work for change? Oh, man. Uh, that's it's a big, big question. question. <laughs> I know. I want to throw out the big question to see what I get. Yeah. Well, I can talk about <laughs> the specific work that we've done together in Stockton. Uh, so I specifically work on a lot of our women's initiatives in Stockton. And so my biggest critique of the campaign, um, not only on Michael's part, but a lot of the other candidates, nobody was talking about what they were going to do for women. Uh, even when we went to the Women's Forum, nobody asked the candidates, what are you concretely going to do for women? And because my master's is in gender studies and I study black feminism and I'm doing my project and my PhD work on feminism, I was just shocked by that. And so I mentioned that to Michael, asking him, what are we going to do for women? You're the product of three women. 
you were raised by women. What are we going to do? And so he was completely open to that, asked where we should start. And I think going back to something Michael said earlier, you start with data, you start with research. If you don't know what the current state of something is, if you don't know a community well enough, you're going to make a lot of assumptions. You're going to just kind of throw a bunch of things out there without really thinking concretely um, and intentionally about the steps that you're taking. And so the first project that we worked on was producing a report on the status of women in Stockton to see how women in Stockton were doing compared to the rest of the county, the rest of the state, the rest of the nation, and to have a better idea of the specifics and the diversity of Stockton. And so within Stockton, what we found out from the report, and what we kind of knew already, but this affirmed it with numbers, was that a lot of our women are single mothers. A lot of our women are immigrant women. A lot of our women are women of color. And if we were not targeting that specific group with our programming, then of course we were going to miss out on how we could actually help them. Now, did learning this data and, and you both working together, did that change your policy perspectives as mayor? Well, it gave us the data to kind of make more informed decisions because, you know, viscerally, you know some things, but without having the data and the numbers that really quantified the magnitude of the issue, it's really hard to marshal public will and resources outside of anecdotes. So for me, the most jarring thing is the fact that a lot of women aren't in the workforce because child care, especially young child care, is so cost prohibitive. And it feels so dumb. It's like, duh, now. But when I read that, I was like, wait, what? And they're like, well, yeah, if child care costs this much and someone's making this much, it's probably cheaper for them not to work than, than to be at home. So we have no answers yet, but we're spending a lot of time thinking about where are some child care options we can provide people. Although I think staying at home, whether you're a man or a woman, um, with your child, if you're able to do so, that's amazing. And then that's great for child development. But what we found out there was w- many women who wanted to work and because of the economics need to work, but it's cheaper for them not to. So just try to figure out how do we make it more affordable, access to quality care. It's something what we've been researching and thinking through for the past couple of months. Right. And Stockton has how many people in Stockton now? 320,000. Yeah, we blew up to 320,000. Last time we talked, we were like yeah, at they all They all moved from Oakland. I'm going to tell you, because <laughs> Oakland, I don't recognize my hometown. They're moving somewhere. You're listening to Democracy in Color. We'll be right back with our interview with Michael Tubbs and Anna and Tiasari Tubbs. Hi, I'm Amy Allison, host of the podcast Democracy in Color, the voice of the new American majority. Join our conversations with today's best and brightest political leaders, strategists, and thinkers. Our mission, to take our country back with the power of progressives of every race. And we invite you to join us. To learn more, visit democracyincolor.com or follow us on Twitter at Democracy Color. And we're back. Welcome to Democracy in Color. What is this theory that you have about marrying to better yourself? I read something. You gave an interview where you talked about how to pick your partner. Oh, really? I used to be saying something. You had a philosophy. It's uh, called Upgrade You, something like that. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it comes from the Beyonce song um, featuring Jay-Z, which talks about upgrading Jay-Z. Because being in a relationship is not easy, and you're, like, sacrificing. You get you gain a lot, for sure, but you're also giving up, like, 
a level of autonomy and independence and you're asking for more accountability and, and things like that. So if you're in a, for that level of trade-off, you should be getting something better, like an upgrade. Like, so there has to be something that makes you like a fuller human yeah. or happier or better able to do that. The other things you want to do, something that helps complete you, um, if not, just it's not worth it. You should see Anna's face. It's <laughs> so, so sweet. Aw. I didn't hear this other interview. I say, this all, I say that all the time. Wait Stop. a second. Okay. In essence, here's the quote. Come on. Okay. Michael said in essence recently, quote, Anna is the personification of Proverbs 31. Oh. I don't even know. I'm not. I say that all I'm the not, time. He does Stop. say that one all what, the time. What is Proverbs 31? It's Tell like us, this. Um, <laughs> it's the last proverb in the Bible. Um, and it's, um, it was a mother giving advice to her son about sort of life advice. So the first half, it's like it's not good for kings to drink too much wine, become crazy. And then the narrator lists out all the traits of like a virtuous woman. So it's things like, it's very beautiful imagery. I, I, I don't know word for word, but there's a part that says like she arises early and makes sure everything's good in the house. And then her husband sits out respect as one of the elders of the city because that's his wife. And they're like, oh, you married her? Oh, you're, you you can help make decisions. Like <laughs> you you know what's up, and mm-hmm. that she like makes sure there's money for a rainy day. That she's not just she's a businesswoman, so she's making sure that all the things are stacked and we're making money and we're doing this. It's a, a vision of partnership. Yeah, partnership. But someone who's like super like better, than, like just like good at everything. Good at, I'm kind of okay, Anna. This is our. T- it's this is our. We haven't met and known each other a long time, but kind of your. You do a lot. Yeah, right? Okay, I, you're one I'm to talk. Sitting the, I'm completely impressed. And then what's your philosophy? How you get up in the morning and continue with that positivity given what's going on in the world? So Mary Wright Elderman is one of my mentors. And I was with her and um, Reverend Lawson for a day last month. And it was so energizing because they sat me down and really just showed me that what we're experiencing, I mean, besides the treason and stuff, but other than that, <laughs> besides the treason what, and stuff, yeah, it's, it's like right. no, but 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 it's but like, but what we're experiencing surreal. is um, it's not a peculiar moment in American history, but it is American history. And there's a book um, by this woman, Carol, a black woman named Carol White Anderson, Rage. called White Rage, where she talks about how from the founding of this country, any progress or any movement forward, especially for marginalized groups, particularly black folks, has always, always, always been meant with repressive laws, white national backlash, and state violence. And she goes from like 1700s to today. And I think for me, putting it in perspective, like in spite of that history, we've still made gains. And a lot of my heroes and people I look up to were born in the midst of times that looked dark, darker, just as dark as they look now. For me, this nihilism or defeatism, it's a luxury that when you're actually really impacted and really affected, you can't, you don't have time to feel sorry for so you don't have time to quit because that means death or that means non-existence. Um, so and that's not an option. Yeah, so it's not an option. So I, I, I really take that to heart and yeah. say, well, listen, it's hard, but. I'm sure it was hard for Harriet Tubman, oh. <laughs> right? Like, like. And, 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 and that is a beautiful note, and I want uh, you to have the last word, Anna. Harriet Tubman. Yeah. Talk about one of the greatest people in American history, mm. a black woman. Yeah. 
so often it'll come back down to that. <laughs> I would say <laughs> that the thing that keeps me going is a reminder that we're a part of something so much larger and it's not just us alone doing anything. And I think it's really important that we understand that. We understand that we're a part of something larger in time. This fight didn't start today. It's been going on for a long time. And hopefully we'll continue. And we're just a part of that. And we need to do our part in pushing it forward. But also playing our specific role in the fight and in the movement. Everybody should kind of find that thing that they can contribute. Because if you look at the larger issues, you can really start to lose your your place and your balance and unless you have something that you feel you're contributing to it. And I think for me, I feel like my writing is contributing and will continue to contribute as we um, become better known and I can speak to more people around the world. But I think that the same goes for activists who are more involved in the marches and who are more involved and put their bodies on the line every day. And there's a lot of different roles we have to play. Um, And so long as we all remember that we're a part of that team together and we're not alone, then I think we can keep our heads up. And the last thing I want to say is that one of my favorite scriptures says, um, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I think for me that is also motivating in that it's it's raining now, but that tomorrow is coming and it's not going to come on the wheels of inevitability. We'll, We'll make it come, but there's a lot of people like you, your listeners, my wife, and others who are forcing tomorrow to come so I'm looking forward to that day well me too (laughs) I just feel like I just went to church I just you know had a good workout I feel awesome I feel like this was self-care right here right here I want to thank you both uh, for joining us here on Democracy in Color Uh, Michael Anna and uh, I and everyone listening we're all uh, really excited supportive and uh, can't wait to see what comes next so thanks for joining us thanks for having us This episode of Democracy in Color was recorded at KQED in San Francisco and produced by Lantigua Williams & Co. Our mixer is Annie Wen. Our producer is Paula Mardo with additional production support by LaVon Briggs. Our editor is Chiquita Pascal. And special thanks to Tim Molina, political director of Courage Campaign. If you appreciate this podcast as much as we appreciate you, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us on iTunes. You can learn more about us at democracyandcolor.com. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter. So tell a friend, a colleague, or a neighbor to tune in for their dose of political intelligence. Until next time, thanks for joining us.